CBDC. The Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Startup Women podcast. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. You're listening to the Startup Women Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Startup Women Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and all of the support that you need to make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Melanie Harrington on our show today. Melanie is the owner of Dahlia May Flower Farm. Dahlia Mayflower Farm, founded in 2014, is a small family farm specializing in growing cut flowers. Melanie brings a background in art and horticulture to her work in building community through locally grown flowers on her family's third generation farm. Melanie's studies in horticulture and design, as well as travels in Europe, have helped her shape her rural properties into a destination for flower lovers and a hub for those seeking locally grown blooms. From humble beginnings seven years ago, Dahlia May Flower Farm has been featured by Better Homes and Gardens, the Toronto Star, CBC Television, PayPal, Google, Canadian Florist Magazine, and more. Dahlia May was named Agribusiness of the Year in 2019 in the Quinty Business Achievement Award, and Melanie was awarded the title of Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2018. Welcome to the show, Melanie. Thank you, Kayla. I'm thrilled to be here. Likewise, likewise. So let's let's dive right in. What is the most important thing that you want our audience to take away from our chat today, Melanie? I would love your audience to know that good things are still possible in hard times. It's been such a difficult year with the pandemic, and I would love to just be able to present possibility to the audience. Hmm. Possibility. I love that. That's such a refreshing answer to that question. Love it, Melanie. So walk us through your entrepreneurial journey. We mentioned a bit in your bio, but why did you launch Dahlia May Flower Farm and walk us through that journey at the very beginning of building this business? I have been entrepreneurial from a young age. I was always the kid that had the yard sales and had the lemonade stands. I started a candle business when mm. I was in high school. So I always knew that I wanted to work for myself. And I had a background in farming. I grew up on my family farm. And I just wasn't sure where that was going to take me. I worked in flower shops for years and in garden centers for years. And I knew I wanted to have my own flower shop. But what I was finding 
was that I just couldn't seem to find the sweet spot for a flower shop that would do something just a little bit more farm-based. Mm. It was starting to feel like flowers were becoming such a commodity at the traditional shops that I was working at. We were unpacking the same case of carnations, you know, every week, whether it was January or June. And I was just needing something that connected me a little bit more with how flowers are actually grown. Mm. So I left my job at a traditional flower shop and kind of started out just with no idea where this was headed. I started planting quite a few flowers on my family farm. I started vending at farmer's markets, just iterating lots of ideas. I started flower subscriptions, mm. just trying to kind of find my sweet spot. And it's ended up in a really beautiful on-farm thriving farm store in a destination farm. Fantastic. Incredible. You're making me want to go buy some beautiful flowers <laughs> at the moment. My goodness. That'll be my next stop after listening to this episode. Uh, <laughs> so as a, as a cut flower producer, so actually maybe let's pull back a little bit. What does it mean to be a cut flower producer versus a regular flower producer? For sure. So many of the flower producers are producing potted plants to sell at garden centers that people would plant in their own gardens. Mm. What we do here is very different. It's a little more almost like vegetable farming where mm. we plant flowers as a crop and then we harvest that crop. We sell the cut stems as a finished bouquet that customers can take home and enjoy on their table. So for us, what that means is planting 50,000 tulip bulbs every fall so that we have a beautiful crop of spring tulips. It means planting thousands of dahlia tubers every summer so that we have beautiful stems of fresh cut dahlias. It's three acres of flowers that we have in production here at the farm. Wow. And all of them are cut and put in our cooler and then processed and then sold as finished stems. Amazing. So walk us through how you've navigated the sustainability of that type of farming and distribution operations. I imagine there's so much that has to go into this um, and something very subtle could potentially compromise such a, a large quantity of your crops. Walk us through the sustainability piece. You are correct. <laughs> so that is one of the trickiest parts of our business is that we're dealing with a perishable product here at the farm. So we're totally at the mercy of mother nature just as far as how we're growing things. We can have our best laid plans, we can follow all of the proper procedures and still get thrown for a loop sometimes by mother nature. So that's one element of it. And then it's getting our crops off of our fields in good timing, getting them in proper cold storage. The logistics are more certainly than I would have ever imagined when I started with the small idea of let's grow some beautiful flowers. I had no idea maybe how many logistics were involved in this. So at this point, we need to make sure we get the flowers into a cold chain and have them in the cooler and then make sure that we're keeping our product and our flowers cool as we get them out on our deliveries. Mm. And that's entrepreneurship 101. Some things are just more complicated. Than <laughs> that's right. It always think. starts out with a simple idea. Mm -hmm. And so walk us through at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, you faced a significant roadblock as the business relied so much on the farm as a destination for tourism and visitors. Uh, but in April, I know that, you know, your shop was delivering 200 orders a day, four days a week, um, and that you took a complete pivot with online sales and e-commerce. Walk us through that journey. I imagine that would have been, you know, a very disruptive moment for, for the farm. What did that look for, like for you during the pandemic? Disruptive is a great way to put it. <laughs> what it really was, was it felt like just as we had dialed in on how to run our business, our business was at the five-year mark when, mm. when COVID hit, and we were just starting to feel like we had really found our niche. We'd created this beautiful destination farm. 
we had customers that were driving, you know, an hour and two hours out of their way to come to the farm to purchase flowers. We really felt like we knew what we were doing. Uh, so that seems like the perfect time to throw a global pandemic into things. <laughs> so we had to switch everything up. Our shop was closed. Customers were not able to drive out to the farm any longer. And we, within a week, within that first week, we had to figure out a way to get our fresh product to our customers. Because the tricky thing about farming is the plants and the crops have no idea that there's a global pandemic. The flowers are going to bloom in the time they're going to bloom, regardless of what's happening. Mm. So we found ourselves in a situation where we had planned, you know, six months in advance to have this incredible tulip crop, 50,000 tulips all coming into bloom on the farm. And all of a sudden we were faced with the possibility that they may all bloom on the farm and there was no way for our customers to come to us. So within, you know, a couple of days of finding out about the lockdowns, we decided to open a full delivery service. We switched our model to online ordering only. We dove into e-commerce. We dove into learning the logistics of a delivery service, which was something we knew nothing about. And within, you know, a week and a half, we were suddenly running five or six delivery vehicles a day and delivering 200 orders a day. Wow. Oh my gosh. And in that pivot, obviously, you know, so many entrepreneurs across Canada were struggling with that exact same shift, having to almost become these e-commerce experts overnight. And, you know, this is potentially a brand new space for so many of them. How did you decide on what the right path was for you in such a quick period of time? Um, why did you use different platforms? Who did you reach out to? What did those services like look like in that shift in your business? You are so right about all of us having to learn how to be digital entrepreneurs and <laughs> yeah. take on e-commerce. And oh my goodness, I'm not a techie person at all. Mm. It's not my strong point. So we connected ourselves with PayPal almost mm. right away for accepting online payments. They've just been a huge support. We put our website on Shopify and we just dove into figuring things out. We had heard so many good things about both Shopify and PayPal. So we knew right away that those were the partners that we wanted to work with mostly because they have such strong support systems for entrepreneurs, which is key for all of us who are, you know, trying to be nimble and trying to learn the backend support that both PayPal and Shopify have had has been fantastic. So we dove into e-commerce. Amazing. And in that journey, are there some lessons that you learned potentially the hard way in that digital pivot? Any lessons that uh, you would want to share with our audience that um, you know could potentially save them some time or some energy moving forward if they're looking at shifting online? Oh my goodness. We learned all the lessons the hard way. One of my favorite lessons that we learned the hard way was when we first switched our flowers to being offered in online services only. We opened up 600 delivery slots for the first week and we had four different delivery days that customers could choose from. And what we didn't realize was that we needed to make sure to put a limit on the mm. quantities per day. <laughs> well, my goodness, we got ourselves in a situation where in that very first week, 523 people ordered for the first day of delivery that of was course. available. Wow. So yes, well, 600 orders would be manageable over four days. There was no way that was manageable over one day. And we learned everything the hard way that day. So, yeah, we just learned a lot about the back end. And I think the biggest thing I've learned is that it it really is okay to make mistakes. We're all in this together as far as learning e-commerce. Mm. And I and I think customer communication is key. We let our customers know as soon as we realize the problem, 
we were just very upfront on social media and jumped on and let people know what had happened and let people know there was no way we'd be able to complete all those deliveries in one day and what our course of action was moving forward. But I think just clear communication and just the willingness to try things. I think customers do understand and appreciate that entrepreneurs are trying so many new things and people have been very forgiving as we've made all of these mistakes the hard way. That's great. And I think that speaks to the, the, you know, the community that you serve and the interest that you, the fact that you received so many orders just for that first day just shows, um, sure. you know, you had such an engaged audience and you'd built these relationships that then shifted online. You kept those relationships. They just looked a little bit different in this. That's right. So looking at, you know, your journey as an entrepreneur, um, it is fairly unusual, you know, looking at, at farmers and looking at those that have to, um, you know, sort of fall to the mercy of mother nature every year, there could always be something that is thrown your way that you have to navigate that's completely out of your hands. How have you managed that as an entrepreneur and as somebody who's trying to keep a sustainable business flowing? Um, you know, if things appear out of nowhere, you know, there's weather patterns that shift, how do you manage this uncertainty that inevitably is going to come your way in this type of business? I love this question so much. So I am surprised at how many overlaps there are on, you know, starting as a farmer and then ending up really pivoting into being a digital entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So when you are a farmer, you are totally at the mercy of mother nature and you just learn really good problem solving skills. Mm. I think what I've learned as a farmer is so many things are out of your control, which my goodness, as any small business owner knows, mm -hmm. that's the case. And when things are out of your control, you just get really good at problem solving and pivoting. Mm. And I think farmers are also natural optimists. Mm. So I'm, I, you know, I'm always looking for a best case scenario. <laughs> in things. I feel like farmers are natural gamblers and optimists and they need to be in order to work with mother nature. And I've definitely taken those skills into digital entrepreneurship. I'm not afraid to make mistakes. I'm not afraid to try new things. And I feel like so much of being a digital entrepreneur is just problem solving. Mm. There's nothing that's not manageable. It's all just a whole series of problems that need to be solved. And I feel like farmers are really good at at getting creative and finding finding solutions. Mm. And do you think that farmers identify as entrepreneurs, or do you think that this this recognition that they are farmers and that they are inherently, you know, um, gamblers or problem solvers, you know, that that is the narrative that is sort of constructed around farmers as opposed to being innovative entrepreneurs? I don't think nearly enough farmers recognize that they are entrepreneurs mm. and recognize that they need to be digital entrepreneurs. That's actually mm. a big gap in this industry. I know so many wildly talented farmers who are growing beautiful things and are not able to sell them. And they mm. are struggling despite having so many good problem solving skills and growing skills. And I think there's a big gap between, you know, that rural lifestyle of, of so many of us growing up on a farm out in a rural area and the digital economy that we're living in where mm. It's certainly a huge part of my job to connect, to build an audience and to build a community and to connect with that community and then take that through digital entrepreneurship to get the customers, you know, in a place where they feel comfortable with me and love to purchase our products. Mm -hmm. There's a big gap there. And I wish that more. And I think this goes across the field. You know, it's not just farmers. I think so many small business owners are kind of just missing a little bit of that link between building an audience and building a community and sales. Mm -hmm. And that's been such a big part of our journey for sure. That's made the farm a success. 
It's such a great point because you see, you know, this within the arts and within the artistic community, you know, many artists Mm. identify as artists, but they don't identify as entrepreneurs and that selling component and really connecting with the tools and, and putting themselves out there to sell their art. If that's the direction that they're going into, there's interesting parallels, I think, within the farming community. And um, absolutely, you know, we're, we're having so many conversations with these spaces that are, are not quote, traditionally entrepreneurial, that they're not necessarily in these conversations. Um, but that's, that's a great point that this awareness and this education piece um, could be, you know, a, a make it or break it moment for many, many farmers in a time like this. It's a thing that I'm watching play out in the music industry as well. Mm -hmm. So many musicians that are not able to travel anymore are really learning that they actually are their own small business. Mm -hmm. Not only are they the product, but they are a small business. So yeah, it does transfer to so many industries. Interesting. So looking forward for you and uh, the Dahlia May Flower Farm, what do the next couple of months, years look like for you? What does your your e-commerce expansion plan (laughs) look like moving forward? Oh my goodness. So we have so many things to look forward to. We have had a crazy couple of years. We've built up so much momentum and we've built zero infrastructure here at our farm. Hmm. So right now, I think like many businesses, you know, you get, you just get caught up in the doing and in, in surviving. Um, we are really trying to take a step back now and look at how we can flourish and expand. And for us, that's building proper infrastructure. It's building a new design studio and a building to be able to do our work. And it's also really digging into what the e-commerce platforms have available We've just recently in the past year started shipping products all across Canada. We're shipping bulbs and tubers and corms to home gardeners all across Canada. And we're certainly, as things are changing and lockdowns are continuing, we're really trying to dial in on that and work with that digital aspect of our business and finding ways to, you know, bring what we grow here on our farm in Trenton to a wider community across Canada. Mm. Amazing. I think, and that, uh, your sentence, you know, you're so caught up in the doing and surviving. You do have to take these moments to figure out what's next and what, how do you expand? How do you scale? This is such a consistent challenge that we hear. Um, you know, you're, you're so stuck in the day to day that where do you create that space to think big and expand? How have you carved out that space within the real estate of building your business and sustaining your business to make sure that you're looking beyond just tomorrow? Oh, that's such an important one. So, so many entrepreneurs get caught up in working in their business and not working on their business. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so what that has looked like for me is really just being able to ask for help. Um, I've always had a hard time asking for help. I'm one of those people that feels like I'll just do it because I can work the hardest, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs (laughs) just, just think, oh, it's fine. I'll just do it because I know best. Uh, and what I'm learning is that I'm really needing to take a step back and, and hire the proper help. So this year has been a big year for us in just getting the proper support system. And for me, that's been hiring a full-time office manager and hiring a farm manager just so I can take a little bit of a step back and just have a clearer vision for where the company wants to go. And it's it's been hard. It's a challenge when you're used to being in there, getting your hands dirty in your business every day. And it's such a part of your identity. It's really a personal challenge. It's taken quite a bit of personal growth, actually, to learn that I need to step back and I need to ask for help, hire the appropriate help, and really bring my focus on the bigger vision. So I've been doing a lot of personal work, actually, on on getting out of my own way in that sense and really focusing on where I would love the company to go. 
Amazing. And this could sort of blend beautifully into my next question that um, in terms of pieces of advice, what would be one key piece of advice that present day you would give yourself when you first launch your business in, in 2014? Hindsight being 2020, what would you tell your formal self? Mm, hindsight is always 2020. <laughs> I think that the two, maybe the biggest things that I would tell myself are one, it's okay to make mistakes. I think so many of us get caught up in perfectionism we're waiting for the moment to be right. We're waiting for the right opportunity. And I think the moment is never right. And the opportunity is never the perfect opportunity. I think it's really okay to just iterate things, make mistakes and learn. And the other thing that I would tell myself is that you have to ask for help. You have to reach out. I've learned a lot about this in the past year, just turning into a digital entrepreneur um, and just struggling with the tech end of it. It's been a big year for me in reaching out and asking for help and asking all the questions. And I think that's, that's something that so many entrepreneurs struggle with. So that's definitely a piece of advice that I would love people to take away is that it's totally okay to ask for help, but I think we all need to get used to doing a lot more of it. Mm, sing it. That's my, 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 my fingers are snapping. <laughs> the studio could not agree more. Um, so final takeaways, resources, tools, um, something that's been invaluable to you in the last week. Um, what's a, a final key takeaway that you want our audience to take away from, from our chat today? Mm, listening to business podcasts. I feel like that's <laughs> one of my favorite tools, to be mm -hmm. totally honest with mm -hmm. you. While I'm doing... Well, I'm doing any of the work where I'm having to work in my business and not on my business. When I'm working in my business, I always have a business podcast on so that I can be learning at the same time. Any suggestions outside of the Startup Women podcast? Of uh, well, obviously, <laughs> of course. I love online marketing with Amy Porterfield. That mm. is one of my favorites. And I love the profitable mindset with mm. Charlotte Smith. It's a little more geared towards farming, but it's actually a really excellent one for small businesses. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Well, thank you so much, Melanie. This time has just flown by completely, but you provided such great feedback to our audience, really actionable insights um, and some great tips based on your entrepreneurial journey. So thank you so much for joining us on the Startup Women podcast. This has been a real treat, Kayla. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, VDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook, Resources for Women Entrepreneurs, with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast, hosted by Rick Spence, and plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the economic potential of women.